Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. That these questions, in a way, debunked the idea of the resurrection or proved that it couldn't be plausible. So, so for example, some people would say, how is it even possible? How is it scientifically possible that someone who is dead would be raised up back to life? The other question is, what kind of body will they have if they are raised? These, uh, those people who asked these kinds of questions, they essentially thought that these questions were the Achilles heel in the idea of the resurrection of the dead and of life after death. They thought these questions proved that there couldn't be such a thing as resurrection and eternal life. After all, who would want to live forever in a body that was halfway decomposed, right? Or, or a body that a child who died as an infant, why would they want to be raised and, and live for eternity in that infant body? Or, or let's say somebody who, uh, who had a disability. Why would they want to go on forever living in that state? It would be terrible, in some cases even grotesque. But Paul responds to these objections starting in verse 36. And here's what he says at the beginning of verse 36. You foolish person. If you read this in the original text, it's much more emphatic. He says basically, you fool. These are stupid questions is what he's saying. People thought that these were slam-dunk arguments that disproved the idea of the resurrection and eternal life. But Paul says, no, these are not slam-dunk arguments. These are cheap, worthless, foolish arguments. First of all, the question of how it can be possible for God to raise the dead. Are you serious? He's God. That's the kind of thing that he can do, right? It's answered by the fact that God can do anything. I love what Paul the Apostle said when he stood before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 8. He said, why would it be thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Why would you find that even incredible? Remember, the difficulty of any action is measured by the ability of the one performing that action. So for example, there are things which you can do which it would be impossible for a small child to do. But for you, it's not even difficult because of your superior strength and ability. It would be impossible for me to lift a train car up in the air. And yet there are machines that do it all day long. They lift train cars up in the air at the train yard. In the same way, if God is all-powerful and God created all things out of nothing, then not only would it not be impossible for God to raise the dead, it wouldn't even be difficult and do you realize that that same principle applies when it comes to your life as well? There are things in your life which may seem impossible or insurmountable, too difficult for you. They might be impossible, but you realize that for God, not only are they not impossible, they're not even difficult. And so in whatever situation you're facing today, you can bring that situation before the Lord, knowing that with him, nothing is impossible. He can bring life out of death and if he can do that, then certainly he has the ability to work and make a way, even in the most difficult of circumstances and dire of situations. So you can bring your needs and your cares to him in prayer, and you can do so with confidence. Not only is he able to do great things, but you know what else? He is also willing. 
Not only is he able to do great things, he's also willing. I love what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Look at what it says. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is my favorite part. For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, not only is God able, but God is willing. He cares. You can bring your needs to him confidently, knowing that not only is he able, but he cares and he is willing. Now, maybe some of you, though, you hear that and you would say, wait a second, I have brought my needs before God and he hasn't fixed my situation. Or maybe he hasn't given me yet the thing that I've been asking for or praying for. So if you say that God is able and he is willing, then why hasn't he answered my prayer? So not only is God able, and not only is God willing, but you need to remember this as well. God is also all-knowing. He knows the outcome of every potential course of action. And he is so deeply committed to you that he is working out a plan for your ultimate good. So sometimes you might ask for something, and because of his perfect knowledge and his full love for you, Rather than giving you that thing, he might say no. He might say, not right now. Because you know what we have with God? I think that some people wish that God was a genie. Because you know how a genie works. As long as you say the magic words, the genie is obligated to give you what you want. And I think sometimes we think that. As long as I say the magic words, as long as I do the right things, God will be obligated to give me what I want. But you know what we have with God? We have with God not a, not a genie in a bottle, but a father in heaven. Not a genie in a bottle, but a father in heaven. The difference between a genie and a father, a genie is obligated to give you what you want if you say the right words, but a father is the one who knows you best and loves you most. And he won't just give you what you want, he will give you what he knows that you need. So you can think about it like this. God loves you so much that when you ask him for something, he will give you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. So when it comes to how God is able to raise the dead, it's not that hard. He's all powerful. For him, nothing is impossible nor even difficult. But the other question about what kind of bodies we will be raised with, Paul is going to give a more detailed answer now, starting in the second part of verse 36. So this brings us to the second part of our sentence. The hope of the resurrection fills us with courage to face life and death. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 36. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Paul says this. You want an example of how the resurrection works, what it's like? It's like a seed that's planted in the ground. When you bury a seed in the ground, that seed is destroyed, but it gives birth to something greater. And he says that's what it's like when a Christian dies. When you bury the body of a believer, it's like sowing a seed into the ground, which one day will come out of the earth as a transformed body in the resurrection. I want you to think about that next time you pass by the cemetery. You see those rows of gravestones. Think about them as seeds that have been planted, and some of them are going to be springing up to new life in the resurrection. As sad as it is to bury a deceased loved one, imagine if you were planting a seed. 
a farmer who's sowing his seeds. He places those seeds in the ground, never to be seen again. Yet that farmer, he doesn't weep over the seeds as he plants them, right? He doesn't say, oh, my seeds, I'm never going to see them again. A tragedy, right? No, instead he sows those seeds in hope with eager expectation, knowing that those seeds, he will see them again, but in a different way. They'll be transformed into something much greater, much more glorious than as they went into the ground. He won't see them again, but from those seeds will come up a more glorious and infinitely better body, an infinitely greater life. See, that's what the death of a believer is like. Not a final tragic loss, but the sowing of a seed that will one day rise again in new and greater form. I love what George Herbert, the English poet, said. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him merely a gardener, right? Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him merely a gardener. Notice again what it says in verses 37 and 38. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen. When you plant a wheat seed, for example, what grows up out of the ground isn't just another wheat seed. No, it's something which is different in form, and yet it's related to and comes from the seed that was planted. So we should expect the same thing with our resurrection bodies. The the bodies we will have in the life that is to come, they will be different from, yet related to, our present earthly bodies. And that's an incredible thought, actually, because think about what this means for those who have lived this life with disabilities. Think about what it means for those who died in infancy or as young children or who died in old age when their bodies were breaking down. Think about those who have imbalances in the chemistry of their brain or who have chronic health problems. The promise and the hope of the resurrection is that you will receive a new body, and that new body will be related to and derived from your current body. It will come from it, but just as a stalk of wheat comes from the seed, it will be that much grander and more glorious. Guys, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that my resurrection body is going to have some pretty amazing hair, okay? You're, you're really going to like it. I'm going to invest in some brushes. It's going to be so cool. All right, listen. There won't be a need for canes or walkers or eyeglasses. There won't be a need for medication or wheelchairs anymore. Look at what it says in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star and glory, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Our new bodies, which we will have in the resurrection, will be of a different form and more glorious than the bodies we have now. And now, then in the next few verses, verses 42 through 44, Paul is going to give us four ways in which our resurrection bodies, our new bodies, will be different. So way number one, he says, first of all, in verse 42, our current bodies are perishable. They die. 
Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. They get sick. They, they deteriorate. But our resurrected bodies will be imperishable. The second one, he says, our current bodies carry dishonor, right? There are functions which are not glorious, right? Which we hide and which we keep away from people for good reason. But our resurrected bodies will carry not dishonor, but glory. The third one is, our current bodies suffer weakness, but our new bodies will be filled with power. And verse 44, our current bodies are natural, but our new bodies will be spiritual, However, I want you to take note of this. It's really important to remember that when it says that our new bodies will be spiritual, that doesn't mean that they will be immaterial or non-physical. So when it says they will be spiritual, it doesn't mean that they won't be physical. In the Gospels, when we read about Jesus after his resurrection, we remember, as we talked about last week, that Jesus is the first fruits of those who are raised from the grave to eternal life. What that means is he's the prototype. He's our first glimpse of what it will be like when we are resurrected to eternal life. So by looking at Jesus's resurrection body and what it was like, we can get some idea of what our resurrection bodies will be like. So for example, we read about Jesus that after his resurrection, uh, he had a physical body, right? He was able to eat food. People touched him. They put their hands in his wounds and felt them. He could walk into a room, though, without using the door. So it was a physical body, and yet it had properties which are different than our physical bodies. So it was similar and yet different. You know, one of the questions people also often ask about heaven, they ask the question, will we recognize each other in heaven? Will I recognize other people? Well, here's the thing about Jesus. We read about how after Jesus was resurrected, people did recognize him, but oftentimes not right away. They did recognize him, but not right away. So he was himself, and yet he looked different enough from himself that even people who knew him very well met him, talked to him, and they didn't recognize him right away until they did. And as soon as they recognized him, they said, of course, that's who you are. Now I recognize you. You see, so although our resurrection bodies will be spiritual, it doesn't mean that they won't be physical. They won't be material bodies. They will be. In verses 44 through 49, then, Paul tells us that just as we have inherited our physical earthly bodies 
from Adam through natural birth. We will receive our new bodies through Jesus by spiritual birth, by being born again spiritually by faith in Jesus and what he did to save you. But think about what this means for you and me. If this is true, then death is not something that you need to fear. If this is true, then death is not something you need to fear. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says that through his death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, in order to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How many of you know what it's like to be held captive by fear? Just like how a prisoner is restrained or held back by the bars of their jail cell or the walls of the prison yard, in the same way fear can hold you back or keep you from doing things. And one of the greatest fears that holds people back is the fear of death. And do you realize the fear of death manifests itself in a couple of different ways, right? This fear of death, it's this idea that since there's only one life, therefore, there's a fear of failure, for example. I can't mess this up. I've only got one life. For others, it's a fear of missing out. I've only got this one opportunity. I'm afraid of missing out on things. For others, it's a fear of taking risks because, again, what if I fail? But here's the thing. When you take hold of the promise of the resurrection and eternal life in Jesus, it fills you with an incredible amount of courage and confidence, not only to face death, but also courage and confidence to face anything that this life might throw at you or bring your way. The hope of the resurrection sets you free from the fear of failure. It gives you courage to step out in faith and take good godly risks because you understand that this life is merely a shadow of the true and greater life which is to come and which will last forever. So of course you can take some risks. Of course, you know what? You can step out in faith even if you fall. The hope of the resurrection sets you free from the fear of missing out because you understand that an eternity of joy and opportunity awaits you. This hope of the resurrection, you know what it does? It puts steel in your spine because you realize that there is nothing you need to fear, neither in life nor in death, because of what Jesus did for you and who you are in him and what awaits you because of his resurrection. And that brings us to our final part, which is this. The hope of the resurrection fills us with courage to face life and death and gives direction and urgency to how we live here and now. It gives direction and urgency to how we live here and now. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So in other words, our fleshly, earthly bodies, these bodies we live in right now, they're not fit for eternity. We need new bodies, right? In order to live in eternity, we need those new resurrection bodies. But then that begs a question. You know, Jesus said that he could come back at any point. And so what about those of us who will be alive when Jesus returns, as he said that he would? What will happen to them? How will they get their resurrection bodies? That was the question people were wondering about. And Paul answers that question in verses 51 and 52. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. When the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So those of us who are alive when Jesus returns will be caught up and transformed into our new bodies without ever seeing death. And when that happens, when Jesus returns, it says, verse 54, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's mocking death. He's calling it out. He's quoting verses from Hosea and from Isaiah. He says the sting of death, verse 56, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, death itself, the passing from this temporal world into the realm of eternity, by itself is not something that's inherently bad or needs to be feared. The problem is that there's a sting involved with death. The sting of death, that's what needs to be worried about. That's what we should be worried about. And the sting of death is sin. Sin is the problem. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what makes us subject to judgment. And the law, which is God's perfect standard of right and wrong, has only proven and solidified beyond any question or doubt that we have, in fact, all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and we are deserving of judgment. But the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, our sins have been removed. It's like the way that certain bees, right? You know about this. Certain bees, when they sting you, their stinger will stick in you Therefore, it will be removed from their body. And as the stinger is removed from the body of the bee, it causes the bee to die. Well, by taking our sins upon himself on the cross, it was as if Jesus was allowing death to sink its stinger into him instead of you. And in the process, as that stinger stuck in him, death was defeated, destroyed, stripped of its power to hurt you anymore in any way. And instead, if your hope is in Jesus, you can say along with the Apostle Paul, for me now to live is Christ and to die is gain. Since now, rather than separating me from him, death will actually unite me to him. And rather than destroying you, death will merely plant you in the ground so you can be raised up to new, better bodies prepared for the life that is truly life. And so what does it mean for us now to live here and now in this life in light of these things, he says in verse 58. Everything he's been saying builds up to this one point in verse 58. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Rather than leading us to complacency, rather than filling us with an attitude of not caring about this world because we're going to escape this place anyway, no, no, no. The hope of the resurrection should instead drive us to be actively doing the things right now which can only be done on this side of eternity. Did you know that? That there are actions which you can do now which will have an impact for all of eternity. In fact, there are some actions which you can do now which can only be done in this life and they can't be done on the other side of eternity. That gives us a sense of urgency, doesn't it? 
It reminds me of what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, where he said this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. What Jesus is saying is that there are some things that can only be done in this life. And we've got a window right now that will not always be open, a short window of time in which to do these things, which can only be done in this life. Think about it. You will have all of eternity to worship God, to be with others in community. That'll be good. But it's only here on earth that you have the opportunity to share God's love and truth with others who don't know him or don't know that truth yet so they can know him and be born again and receive this life that is truly life. It's only here on earth that you can act as the hands and feet of God in a hurting world to relieve suffering or to bring comfort to those who mourn. And you can be assured that when you step out and you do the work of the Lord by serving others in his name, your labor will not be in vain. So be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord as you await with eager expectation the life that is truly life. The hope of the resurrection fills us with courage to face life and death and gives direction and urgency to how we live here and now. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 